Welcome back, everybody. Um, after doing my prep on this, uh, on the next guest that you see in front of you, I walked away with basically three things. Number one is I need to get back to writing and I need to do it right now. Uh, number two is I finally have somebody who understands what, it's mean, uh, what it means to hustle because I have to explain it to people. I certainly do not have to explain it to, uh, to Adam. And third is no matter how successful you are, or influential you are, or what you have achieved in life, you can still remain a good person. And those are my three main takeaways. I want to know what yours are when we're done. Welcome to the program, uh, executive producer, showrunner, writer, Adam Glass. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it, Alan. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. And again, in my, in my naivete, when I met you the first time, I took a workshop from Sherry Shaw. It was a Power Hour workshop where I got a chance to, uh, to kind of uh, see you audition a few people. I was one of those. And I didn't know much about you. I just knew that, okay, well, the guy obviously uh, knows something about actors and, uh, and running them. And I thought, really good guy, just kind of a nice human being. I want to talk to him more. And that's why I reached out. I wanted to talk to you more and ask some questions. And then I started doing research and I figured out who you are and what you have done. So. You know, I, I'm glad I go on instinct sometimes. I appreciate it. Yeah, listen, you know, it, it's something that I said, first of all, Sherry's amazing. What a great yeah. human being and person. I've known her for over 20 years. You know, I mean, it's something we talked about a little bit is you come up with people, you know, the people that you meet along the way and the friends you make and the relationships are super important. So uh, mad love to Sherry. And so glad I got to meet you and so many of your classmates who I just thought so much, that's the thing that excites me all the time, so much talent out there. Um, and so excited that the future is gonna be in good hands. You know, we've got a lot of great actors coming up. I think so too. Um, so let's, let's fill people in just in case they do not know about you. Let's, let's kind of back up and see where it started. Uh, you were born in Decatur, Georgia, but you spend you know, a lot of your youth in New York. You're wearing a Yankees, uh, Yankees cap. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Chicagoan. I still can't believe we gave you Glaber Torres. I'm really- <laughs> I love him. Oh my God. Mm, he's so amazing. He's so amazing. We let Didi go. I mean, it goes to show you. I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, let's, let's take it from there. So you grew up uh, in New York. Um, you know, we, we have another thing in common, right? You know, I came from the former Soviet Union. Your grandfather came from the former Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, so there's that uh, connection. As a matter of fact, everybody on the show this week, it just happened that way. Everybody has some connection to Russia. It's, it's pretty cool. But, um, so you went, uh, you went to school for theater, and then uh, you found your way to, uh, to LA, but it was for a different reason. Can you uh, get us in there? Oh, you know, let, just go back from the beginning. I always feel like, and this is super important because I feel like, you know, part of what we all do, actors, writers, or anything like that, I always say, what's your brand? Who are you? What are you? What are you selling? What's your story? You know, uh, you've heard some of this stuff, but, you know, I'm like the, you know, the, the guy in Ratatouille, you know, it's like everyone can, you know, cook and people get so mad because I'm like, everyone has a storyteller, everybody can write. Who has the discipline? to do it is a whole other story because what we do is a craft as much as it is an art. And I think that, uh, you know, I look back at my life and, you know, all the things that would have seemingly been things that could have hurt me actually helped me when I, I think I got to Hollywood because, you know, I was born in Georgia, raised in New York, didn't know my dad till I was 14 years old. 
Um, you know, when I, you know, I was raised in a Jewish Russian home by my, my Bubby and my mom, no men in my life for the most part. I mean, a little bit here and there, I had some influences, but for the most part, just raised by women. I had a joke, I was raised by Hannah and her sisters, uh, between my mom and my aunts and everything like that. Um, so, you know, it was always like, it's funny. It was like, my wife said I came well-trained by the time (laughs) she got me. Um, so she still had some stuff to do. Trust me. There was a lot of work still yet to be done to get me uh, full on. But, uh, so, uh, but, um, so at 14, I went down to Georgia and I met my real father who was in jail. And so the first time I met my dad was in prison and, uh, you know, totally different than my family. Uh, he was not the greatest guy, but his family was amazing, the Doran family. So um, I, I inherited instantly this amazing family in Georgia and then start to spend my summers and my holidays down there. And like being a New York Jew and then all of a sudden being in the deep South, you know, was like so different. So I always joke that I'm a little bit of a Jubilee because I got a little of both. I got that Southern flavor in me, but I'm a New Yorker through and through heart to heart. Um, so that helped, I think, not just identify who I was, but give me a different life experience so that when I came out here and I started to write and I started to get into writing rooms. So to your point, like I went actually to school for theater uh, and then sophomore year, I actually left. I went to SUNY Albany for two years and I came out to L.A. and uh, for a year and did stand up comedy. I just wanted to sort of have a different experience. I was lucky. I got out here in like 88, 89 and uh, you're, that's where you're supposed to go, no, you're not that old, no way. We'll rewind that, we're gonna cut that out. <laughs> not that old. But the what? First, no way, 88, 89. Were you even born yet, Alan? Uh, the first thought, because that, that specific date has a very, uh, very uh, resonance in my mind, because 89 is when I came to the United States, I was 14 years old. So, uh, Oh, that, see, you don't look that old, Alan. I didn't think that. Mm, look at you. Mm, thank look. you. Thank you. So, 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 <laughs> so I got out here and like, it was a great time. I, I went to the comedy store. I didn't know anybody. I was like, you know, I got to see Sam Kinison and I got to see, you know, Pryor and I got to see Robin Williams and I got to see um, so many great comedians. But I realized very quickly that that was a world that I enjoyed but I didn't want to be part of you know comedians and sort of behind the scenes it's really dark and I just wanted some light in my life and you know I didn't want to turn around and sort of go down the dark so I went back to Brooklyn College and I was a theater and film major and i uh, very lucky I got to work with F. Murray Abraham and I got to take poetry classes with Ginsburg and you know like people don't realize how amazing Brooklyn College is. And I was bartending and putting myself through school. And then I made this independent movie that basically got a lot of attention. And 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 um, it was a short that I made. And I remember coming out here for the New York Student Academy Awards. I mean, excuse me, the, yeah, the something Academy with Student Academy Awards. And like just getting creamed. I think I made my film for like five grand and like the opening shot with some USC grad students, like, you know, Lou McCrane shot at the Chateau Marmont. And I was like, <laughs> But I remember having this agent, Jeff Field, say to me, like, hey, you need to move out here. And, you know, and and I was like, I'm a New Yorker. I'm an independent filmmaker. Like, no, no, no. And I went back to New York. And like after another shitty winter, I was like, I'm out of here, man. (laughs) So I came to L.A. and thinking that I was going to get signed by William Morris and then, you know, only to show up and them say, you know, like, do you have a script? Do you have it? I was like, oh, so that point I had been writing like short stories mostly and you know, not really. So I just picked up a book and I started reading other scripts and I just started writing. 
And I always say this, when I first got to LA, you know, it's that story, you've, you've heard it before. I lived in my car. I didn't know anybody. I just met people. I think I showed up with like $500 in my pocket, like just like no money. And, you know, you're young, you got nothing to lose. Uh, you know, if I went back to the Bronx, I would have been an electrician and, you know, nothing against all the electricians out there. My whole family, local three IBW, nothing but love for the brotherhood, but wasn't my, my goal. Um, I wanted more. I didn't want to work with my hands. Um, so I came out here and I just started to, you know, hustle and, and meet people and write and write and write and script after script after script. And it took me about four years before finally there was some interest um, and a manager wanted to sign me, an agent, sorry, Sandy Weinberg, who was at the time at Innovative Artist. And uh, that really changed my life. But it took about four years, hand to mouth, just, you know, beating the pavement, trying to find and meet people to finally get to that place where someone was like, hey, I think you have some talent. Yeah. Um, what is that, uh, again, that after four years, was that uh, uh, all about the Andersons? Was that the first show that got picked up with Anthony or it was? Uh, oh, I was, a, I was a feature guy. So I was actually writing movies. Okay. Uh, and for a little bit had a partner, you know, like anything, I was trying to just find my way and navigate it all. And then uh, actually I wrote a script that, you know, uh, with a partner at the time called Killing Time. And that really sort of put us on the map. And then um, that was super interesting. Um, but yeah, so that like, you know, I had written a script and it's funny, I remember we had to go, I had to go paint a house to make money in San Francisco. Yeah. And that, you know, young guy met a girl, next thing you know, three months went by and then I came back and I remember there was a guy, Laurent, who was actually uh, now Steven Spielberg's like, he runs his personal library and he had read the script before I left. And he's like, where have you been? At the, that's my bad French accent. Um, and he's like, you know, this is like, and I just said, we were in San Francisco painting a house. He's like, everyone loves your script and they want to sign you. And this is also during the Tarantino time. So I think there was a Tarantino essence to the script yeah. uh, that people loved. It was two hitmen, one black uh, from Harlem and one Irish from the Westies. And they get sent separately by their boss to kill the same Puerto Rican guy in Lower East Side. And they show up and he's not there. And it's like theater of the absurd. It's like Ibsen. They end up in this like Mexican standoff with each other. And the whole movie takes place in this one room. And then all these other people showing up looking for this guy and they have to either kill them or figure out ways to like get around and yet keep their guns trained on each other. And uh, that and then Russell Simmons bought it for his death films. And it was like, it really like, and then, you know, you think you've made it. You're in the, like, you know, you're in the trades and, and like everybody's calling you for jobs. And then, you know, like you realize anything, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And then, you know, like, how do you survive and how do you last and how do you make things happen? So I, you know, I was doing that stuff and then my partner and I broke up and then, you know, you have to, re you're constantly reinventing yourself constantly, you know? Um, because when you break up with a partner, you basically, nobody knows who was doing the writing. Like, was it you? Was it him? Was it equal? So you then have to prove yourself all over again. And I've had to do that two or three times in my career where I've been like, hit a, hit a, hit a place and I've had to reinvent myself. And that's just the nature of the business. You know, and that's the good news about writing scripts. I tell people every time you write a script, you're writing a lottery ticket. You just don't know what's going to happen. You know? So, you know, anytime somebody's like, oh, I'm stuck in a rut, I'm stuck in a hole. I'm like, go write something. You know, like, go, go. It's like, it's, it's what I loved about Hamilton, right? It's like he wrote himself out of everything. You know, it's like, and it's like, I so related to that. I was like, yeah, I was poor. We grew up on welfare and, and I was able to write my way out of all those things. You know, I sometimes look at my life and my family and I just feel unbelievably blessed. And it's all because of writing, which again is another crazy thing. When you go around the world and you talk to people, you realize like, 
what are writers? One percent of the writers in the world make a living, you know, like writing. That's amazing. Like I tell all the time, any writers, staff writer, anybody, I'm like, you're making a living writing. We're not digging ditches. Like we're, we're getting paid to sit in a room and tell stories and think about our ideas. We are the luckiest people in the world. Sure. It's, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, let's, uh, let's circle back to, uh, to Anthony. I think that's, that's a fascinating story. And again, just reinforces that it's not about um, kind of going out there and networking. It's about building a community. And I think Anthony Anderson was one of the first people that you've met in LA, one of your first friends. Um, tell, tell that story because I find it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you sort of gave away the ending. I love, I love the, selling this idea, which is like, you know, I met, um, I had uh, the guy I decided to come out and start writing with was a, a, a mutual, his mutual friend was a young guy who was working at Ticketmaster. And uh, one night they were all roommates at Howard University. And um, his name is Kenny Gamble. And uh, Kenny and I met at IFC in New York City. He was a talented young filmmaker. And we decided to team up and do a couple of things together. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then come out here together and sort of go through the struggle in the beginning together. And one of his friends was this, like I said, this kid from Compton, you know. Uh, and we all went out one night. And for whatever reason, him and I didn't get into this club that we were going to. So we ended up, you know, I think getting a 40 ounce of beer and I think I had half a joint and, you know, we're young guys and we just sat in a parking lot and talked and got to know each other and talked about our dreams and everything like that. And he said he wanted to be an actor and, and he got up and did a monologue for me in the parking lot of the great white hope. And I just remember being blown away and it wasn't cause I was stoned. It was literally like, this guy is amazing. And uh, it started a friendship. And like I tell people that, and that guy was Anthony Anderson. And it was literally like, we just have been friends ever since I'll see him later this afternoon, you know, and just, just a good human being deserves all the success that he's had coming to him. And, uh, and again, so, you know, we always like, looked out for each other. Like I introduced him to people in the business and then he would pull me in on jobs. You know, we, there were so many great movies that he worked on and he could come and we'll get you paid to do the dialogue or do a rewrite. And, you know, I got to have all these great adventures with him. We go to Vancouver and show Romeo Must Die and, you know, um, Kangaroo Jack. And it's like, you know, we just some of the stories from back then are just amazing because we're young guys and we're just running around the business trying to make it. And then, you know, it led to us eventually doing his show all about the Andersons, which was my first TV experience. His really first, well, he had had a Saturday morning show which was great and that he had done called hang time which is also amazing he was like his at the time college girlfriend he got pregnant and they were gonna have a baby and he's like i need a real job i need to get an acting job and you know and it's like i believed in him but i was like you know at the time i was living in a one-bedroom apartment with five guys you know and i was like i was like yeah good luck with that and within two weeks he got hang time i mean talk about somebody who just wills himself and puts himself out there makes stuff happen like 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 no one I've ever seen before so it's been a nice you know long road and and again to still have a friendship and still you know uh have someone you know it's a tough business so not a lot of people like you know you know and you depend on and you know is there and has your back and I sort of feel like we feel the same way with each other and then the group of people we built around us which are all people successful in their own way and right and some not as successful who just have normal lives and jobs which we always say grounds us you know we have a lot of friends who are grips and you know and and, and more the blue collar part of the business too which doesn't get enough recognition you know and everybody talks about Hollywood I'm always like do you realize like 80% of Hollywood is like blue collar hardworking, you know, union people who are just trying to make a living for their family. It's like this town gets so blown out of proportion. 
just on the A-list thing. So people forget about the everyday workers and we got to thank them because without them, there would be no business here. Yeah, and uh, again, they work, you know, talk about uh, the hours that they work and oh. all the, everything that they put in. Uh, you know, we, we as actors sometimes complain about overnight shots, really, you know, nothing compared to what they're doing. You know, it's funny you say that. I mean, I, I was working on a show called Cold Case. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I always say this. And uh, Karen, uh, Karen, Catherine, um, why am I forgetting Catherine's last name? Who's the lead on Cold Case. I'm never going to forget it was a what we call Fratterday shoot. Um, and Morris, Catherine Morris. And uh, it must have been two in the morning. And it was like close up of like the guest star of the week. It was like 14th person on the call sheet. And there's Catherine right off camera feeding him his lines. And I just remember thinking, wow. Like that's what you want to see in a star and just from the top to the bottom. What a generous actress. Like she could have went home. Somebody could have gave those lines. No, she wanted to be there for him. She believed that in the show that much. And that was like season six, seven, like towards the end too. That wasn't like first few seasons of the show. So, you know, to your point, you know, my daughter's an actress and I tell her all the time, like, be nice to the crew. Like if you love the crew, they'll take care of you and they'll love you. And like, they're the people working every day and be polite, be thankful and don't take any of it for granted or advantage, you know? Um, so, you know, we jumped in a few places, but I want to follow up with something that you said about your daughter. So my mind, by the way, so I apologize. I'm going to be like all over, bing, 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 bing all over the place. I, I love it. That's what keeps it interesting. And by the way, for everybody who's watching, I keep forgetting to tell you that, but if you like this, please subscribe. Um, so <laughs> yes, please subscribe. Mm -hmm. Your daughter, um, your daughter is an actress. So are you, again, from, from knowing the business inside out and knowing the good and the bad that comes with it. Yeah, you know, were you supportive of it, uh, or you were cautious? Uh, so my wife and I, we just had a rule. You know, growing up here in Los Angeles is really tough because most of her friends were either of famous people and or um, they were um, on TV shows. So, you know, first thing I used to say to my daughter all the time is um, we would drive to school and I said, remember, and she's like, I know I'm the poorest girl at my private school. Because um, <laughs> I just wanted her to know, like, you know, and I always tell my kids, we're not rich, you know, we're, we're well to do because I work. And if I don't work, we don't have money. So, you know, there's differences in, in the things. So we decided early on that, you know, it, it, you can do summer camps, school plays, you know, you want some voice lessons, you know, we'll do all those things, but no professional acting till you're 18. And if you want to go to college for it, and that's what you want to do, then we got your back. And so I think when she was 12, she didn't like that very much, but I think she's very happy that we did that now because... Uh, we just wanted her to be a kid as long as she could be a kid, you know, and enjoy just being a normal person as much as you can in Los Angeles. So that was really important to us. So she now goes to Berkeley School of Music. She's a singer. Uh, she's loved to do musical theater. So she's still not in the game 100%. She's still in her training phase. But, um, you know, yeah. So look, I, I'd be a hypocrite to say don't follow your dreams and do what you want to do. I know the good and the bad of it. But I also, I, I have a lot of friends who are just really like, not only great actors, but great human beings, you know, like I'm very close, you know, obviously Anthony and Danny Pino is a good friend of mine, you know, who I love. And it's just one of the best human beings I know in the world. Like you can have both. You don't have to be an actor or, or be in the business and be crazy. You know, like I think it's all relative, right? Like every business attracts all types of different people. So I think if you have a good foundation and it's really, you know, about the, the the art of the craft that you're doing, you're going to get not only great work, but you can have a really good career and good life. You know, that's the other thing we talk about being a working actor. You know, not everybody has to be famous. You know, I'm sure you've had that. Like, 
tons of working actors out there that, you know, you don't know their name, but you see them. You're like, oh, I know you. You're on this and that. And you know, I always say this, like one of the craziest moments I ever had was I was with Michael Rapaport. And we went to Vegas. You would have thought he was Brad Pitt because to the average American, he's been in every movie they love. I mean, he literally, we had to get, I've walked through, I've walked with Anthony through Vegas and we never had to have security. And me and Mike went to see a fight and literally we had to get a security guard to get him through the people because he was just getting mobbed. And this is before his podcast and all this, this is years ago. But, you know, you look at his credentials and he's been in everything, you know, his credits are just crazy. So again, you know, and I would argue he's a character actor, but yet, you know, people just flip out about it. And a lot of people don't know his name, you know, they'll be like, oh, the guy from, you know, uh, True Romance or, you know, the, so, you know, it goes to show you, like, just, just what I tell my daughter all the time is it's not about being famous, it's about doing good work. Yeah. And again, anybody getting into acting, if you're in the acting because you want to be famous, you're in the wrong business. You, you either love it and you have to do it, and that's the only thing that you can think of, and then do it. Otherwise, it's not, it's not for those. I tell anybody in the arts, if, you, if I said to you, hey, Alan, besides yeah. acting, you know, is there anything else? You'd be like, yeah, this, this. I'd say quit acting. Like, you either have to put yourself full in yeah. or, or don't do it because it's too hard. It's too hard, yeah. you know? And look, are there lucky people? Sure. I mean, you know, um, and, I, and I say this with nothing but love because he's an amazing human being, but, you know, Jared Padalecki, you know, from Supernatural mm -hmm. is walking through a mall and this manager just happens to be in San Antonio, Texas, sees him and goes, you should be an actor, you know? And it's like, and that starts him on a career that, you know, and so, but that's, those stories are rare. Mm -hmm. I think his like, one of his first five auditions was Gilmore Girls and he got it, you know, it's like, you know, but there was something there. The manager saw was right. Cause you know, he's, he's just, you know, he's a great human being, amazing, you know, and a really good actor. And, you know, so everyone's journey is different too. So like, you know, you can't, you know, I always joke, my daughter is the hard worker. She's the overachiever. My son, the son just shines wherever he walks, you know? So my son could be that guy. My son could be like walking down Venice Beach and be like, hey, you should be in a movie. And then my daughter will like rip her hair out of her head because she's like, I've been trying to do that. You know, it's like just different people, different lucks, different things, you know? But I also say, look, it's not only, it's hard to get there. It's even harder to stay, you know, and have a career and build a career. That's the thing I admire when I see someone and I'm like, even at this point in my career, I'm turning 52 in a few weeks. And it's like, I joke all the time that, um, that, you know, when you see people that you knew from back in the day, it's like, it's almost like survivor. You guys like hug each other and like, Oh my God, we're still here. And, you know, like we made, like, you know, and again, a marathon, like, you know, I want to do this till, you know, as I joke with my kids, so, you know, I'm going to be on my computer at 85 and like, just like, done. <laughs> you know, just be like fade well, out. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully it's a lot uh, later than that. And uh, by that time, you won't have to type. You'll just be uh, talking to... Uh, be right in my brain. <laughs> be right uh, in my brain. Um, very cool. So let's, uh, let's jump back to, uh, to kind of cold case and then uh, make our way to, uh, uh, to Supernatural. But we you know, touch up on the uh, Marvel and DC before that. So, um, you know, you did the uh, All About the Andersons. That was a year. And then uh, you got... Uh, was Criminal Minds or Cold Case uh, the first one after that? So... Actually, um, again, this is like one of those really interesting things. So um, I, the show got uh, canceled with like, I think we were getting like a 2-9 on a Friday night at 9.30, which now would be like the biggest hit in the world. Yeah. Uh, but 
uh, on the WB, which like a year later was off the air. <laughs> so it was like just, it, the whole thing was crazy. It was a real learning experience. Um, sitcoms are a very different business, but I had sort of got pigeonholed, right? And I remember after the show got canceled, you know, I just had my second child. And, you know, a lot of times as writers, you know, you, you have no choice. And I remember I got a call from uh, the WB from Warner Brothers. Um, Oh, it was Mike and Tracy, Tracy Vacosta, and um, why am I forgetting Mike's um, Mike's name? But they called me and they said, "Listen, you know, you're great in the room, and we need writers for this room." And I remember hearing the idea and going, "Oh no, I don't want to do that." And my wife is like, "You need a job. <laughs> you need a gig. Like we need money coming in." Yep. So I went and did blue collar TV, which is like I always joke about because it was now. By the way, the uh, Jeff Foxworthy, super nice guy. And, um, you know, but the show wasn't really, for me, it wasn't really a fit. Um, but I will say this, I remember we shot one episode in Athens. It was like the Beatles, man. It was just crazy. That, that following that they had was insane. Um, so we, I did that for like only six months or five and a half months, whatever the contract was. And then I was out, but it did look financially, it was great. It helped. Uh, the residuals were great. Totally thing. But at that point now I'm pigeonholed. I'm a comedy guy. I'm a sitcom guy. I'm a variety show guy. I'm none of those things. Like, so all of a sudden I'm finding myself struggling to reinvent myself. And, um, I had this idea to write a script and I'm going to try to tell the fast version of the story because it's pretty crazy. Um, but I, I had to turn around and reinvent myself. So I had this idea and I mean, money's running out and I'm like looking at, I had just bought a house, not a year earlier. I was doing about all the bit the Andersons. I made every mistake you could make. Like, like, you know, like, don't like, Hey, I got a show. I'm buying a house. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I had another kid. Like, you know, it was like, you know, all these things. So I'm now like figuring out how to sort of just not just survive, but like keep sure I don't lose everything. And, um, the strike happened, two things had happened. The strike had happened. And, you know, for the first time ever, I was, you know, I always say this, like, there's always opportunity. I'm like, I would have been a great person during a war. Like, you know, I would have been like a war profiteer. I would have figured out a way to make money. Like, you need, what do you need? Mm, toilets? I got toilets. Um, you know, it's the chutzpah in me, you know. Um, so the hustle, as we keep saying. So um, I was on the strike line with, you know, all the writers. And I think I had just joined the Guild two years earlier. And it was the big strike. I was at 2009, I think, or 2010. I can't remember. 2008. And um, I turned around and all of a sudden I was in line with walking every day with showrunners and walking with EPs and other writers and, and having lunches afterwards and getting to know them in a way I never could have through agents and meetings and all that stuff, really getting to know people in a real way. Same time, I wrote a script um, that changed my life. And I always say this, like, I've written, script, I've written three scripts that changed my life. I never sold any of them for big money. Yeah. Uh, millions of, but those scripts not only changed the perception of me, but got me next five years of work. So this was one of them. I wrote a script and basically I'm not going to tell you the, the, what it was about, but I'll tell you that the idea was like, it was King Lear. It's about a guy who's losing his kingdom and who does he leave his kingdom to? And he turns around and um, I write it. And uh, my agent at the time, Nancy Joseph, calls me and says, this is going to change your life. Called me on a Sunday. I just read it. It's amazing. There's nothing like it out on TV. Like, she's like, you know, and I'm like, that's awesome. Like, my wife is dancing a jig in the living room because, like, this is going to change our lives. And she's like, I'm going to bring it up to, you know, the writer, the, the agencies on Mondays have their big meetings. So she gave it to everybody. She was the head of the television department. She gave it to everybody. And we, uh, she literally called me that afternoon and said, 
we have an 800 pound gorilla who is going to want to direct this. And this is amazing. And this is going to be amazing. And, and I, Tuesday I talked to his producing partner who's Australian. He's like, you know, mate, I love it. It's amazing. We're going to go sell this. Like, can, can you meet with him on Thursday in Malibu? Absolutely. hundred percent. And then Wednesday night, my big break opportunity chance and, and a guy who had a 25 year career that nothing ever happened the day before I meet him, he gets arrested for drunk driving and anti-Semitic remarks, Mel Gibson. Oh my God. Uh, so of course I'm like, I mean, I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like this happened. And, uh, it was, you know, and I, and I, you know, so torn, I loved him as an actor and I think he, I still think he's like a super talented director, but obviously didn't like what he had to say. But so that was dead. And then I get a call, AMC wants to buy it. Right. So I'm like, okay, awesome. So I go and they love it. They believe in it. A couple of small fixes and then they want to order it to series. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. This is exactly everything I dreamed of. And then I get a call and they're like, Hey, so we just bought another show where the, where the lead character is dying. Don't tell me. Uh, and I, and they said, can you change your guy dying? I said, no, that's the whole premise of my show is my guy's dying. They're like, yeah, it's a little show breaking bad <laughs> that we bought and everything like that. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And, and so I changed it. Of course, the whole thing goes in the toilet. And then a year later, basically the same premise comes out on FX sons of anarchy. So my show is about a motorcycle gang and a lead guy, a motorcycle leader, and he's dying, and who does he leave the kingdom of motorcycle gang to? Um, organized crime thing. So again, like just, you know, those things in life. But um, people started reading that script, and they literally, like, I had more meetings, more stuff, and so when the strike was over, I had like three offers to go work on one-hour dramas. But, you know, Bella Bajara, who now is at Netflix and ran NBC Universal, she was just, uh, at the time, a young creative executive she really believed in me and she really pushed me and loved that script and really helped me sort of get out there and and make my bones so that changed my life and my career uh, one other quick side story around this two years three years earlier when i was doing features you know and that business changed i used to go sell two three four pitches a year, you know, and make really great money. And, you know, especially a kid who didn't come from me. I remember going and like showing my friends my like balance and my ATM. They're like, oh my God, you got $70,000. You know, it was like, you know, it was like big shit. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I started renting a house up in the hills and all my friends came with me. It was sort of like, you know, it was like entourage, you know, and we were, you know, all struggling and everything. And I was the first one to sort of start making money and sort of, so everybody would come up and hang out. But I had a friend, again, this is just one of those like Hollywood stories. I had a friend who at the time was a line producer and she, I was in New York and she said, you should come out to Silver Cup Studios and you should um, say, see my boss, say hi, I think you two would hit it off. So I meet this guy, he's a, he's a showrunner and he's telling me about his show. And honestly, the twofold. One, I didn't really understand the whole concept of the show. And then he's like, here, I have this script. I could use someone like you in my writer's room. You like, you have a young energy, you're different, you know, New York, you know, the world a little bit. So he gave me a script. It was like episode four. Had I read the pilot, maybe I would have felt completely different. And I never, so I, I read it on the train going in and I'm lost. I'm like, this guy's haunted by someone he killed and the guy's like haunting him and his uncle is like, and I'm just like, and I remember getting off on 59th street and literally throwing it in the garbage and going, nah, I'm a feature guy. I don't need it. And that show was the Sopranos. Yep. And it, David Chase literally said to me, so again, like having no perspective, having no idea, but also just being young and cocky, 
and thinking, oh, this what a, nothing. I'm a feature guy. You know, it's like it would change my whole life. You know, career. So again, it's like those are two stories of like just the way things happen and the way story and and just you know both from a writing perspective and also just having you know taking a moment. I would say that would be my sort of thing. Take a moment. You never know. Like, you know, I've heard actors like, I'm not doing a slasher horror movie. Really? You want me to tell you how many people like became famous from doing slasher horror movies as their first movie? Like Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, it's like, you know, Johnny Depp and, you know, it's like the list goes on and on and on. It's like, when I hear an actor say that, I'm like, take every part, like make it great. Don't, don't be afraid. Work. Yeah. Same thing with short. I mean, again, you, you started making short films. How many people start out making short films right now? You know, there are people in Hollywood that are making short films and they are very well-known people. That's just because they're doing it. It's their creative outlet or they have a story to tell. Do short films. Don't be an idiot. hundred times. I tell my daughter though all the time. She's like, I, I'm like, do college films. You're in Boston. A million <laughs> film schools there and a million things going, go do college films. Make, because you'll never know. You might meet Scorsese. You know, I mean, you think like, you always hear these stories and it's like, you know, and they're all talking and De Niro and him met when he was doing this, you know, short film at NYU. It's like, you're like, oh my God, all these people like, you know, and that is a very, at least when I was growing up, very New York thing. Cause like I did meet a lot of people on the way up um, through that, that thing. And, you know, and just different actors and different people and some are still working. And mm -hmm. I went to school with um, Stephen Adley Gagaris, who, you know, is, uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, um, author and started with Philip Seymour Hoffman and him started the Labyrinth Theater. Like, you know, you just met people along the way, you know, that you, you don't have any idea. You're just people. Like, you're not thinking, oh, you're going to be famous someday or you're going to be this or you're going to be that. But again, I tell people all the time, just, just say yes. Be positive. Do it. What do you got to lose? Figure it out. Yeah. All right. So, um, I want to get to uh, to DC and and Marvel because I think that's that's such an interesting detour. Uh, <clears throat> I know you kind of grew up and and comics were uh, were a part of you growing up, and then you had a chance to write, and you have a ton of uh, of, uh, of writing that you've done. And you know, Deadpool is probably still my favorite uh, Marvel uh, character of all time. So uh, you had a chance to do Deadpool and uh, Teen Titans and. Uh, you know, uh, Suicide Squad and all sorts of things. So you kind of jump between DC and Marvel. How did that come about? Again, go back to walking the lines at the strike. And I started to talk to another writer named Mike Benson. Mm -hmm. The time was writing Deadpool Suicide Kings. And, you know, he's a good writer, but struggling with some ideas. We just started spitballing in line. Cool. And he said, you know, you want to write it with me? And I was like, are you serious? Like, you know, so I always give Mike a lot of credit for, breaking me in and helping me get into the business. And then, you know, we did a couple of books together. We did, that book became a New York Times bestseller. And then we did um, uh, Luke Cage Noir, which to me is like my favorite book I ever wrote. Uh, Sean Martin Burrell's art is unbelievable. Uh, we did another Deadpool, um, which Deadpool that we did? We did, um, why am I forgetting? Deadpool Pulp, which was also awesome. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, like anything, I, you know, I found for me, uh, I love a writer's room, but I, when it comes to actually writing, I like to write on my own. So, you know, eventually went on my own. And then what happened with that was I was actually, um, and, you know, we'll get, we were going to get to this too. Uh, at that point, I had moved on from, um, you know, the, I did two years on that show, um, The Cleaner, where I learned a lot with Ben, Bra uh, you know, 
uh, Ben was just a great actor and just uh, Robert Munich and Jonathan Prince who ran the show. Like they just, you know, instantly I found myself in the writer's room, sort of running the room. I had a good story sense. I had a good sense of working the board. I was what you call board rat. You know, I could jump on and start to do stuff. Uh, but I would say then I got into Cold Case uh, and Cold Case was because of two guys, Greg Plagman and Elwood Reed, who I've worked with Elwood a ton since then. They knew me socially and like, we need someone like you in the room. And that's where, man, things really became super professional. You know, I always tell people the best storytellers in the world and the people like every show, like people, you know, get some people have procedural background because they all day long, all they do is break story. I mean, it's the best thing for the craft. And if you like me and a couple other people I know, um, my number two on my show now, Chris Barber also comes from this world. It's like, you can just get on boards all day and it almost becomes like beautiful mind. You could be like this and be like, okay, second act needs that third act. Cause you're just every day pounding, pounding 22, 23, 24 episodes a year, three, four, five years of doing that just gives you like this unbelievable uh, thing. Erica Anderson, who works for me now, uh, she also comes from that background. Same thing. I just stick her in a room with a bunch of writers and a board. And I know she's going to give me a story that puts it on the green because she has that, that background. So when I got over to Cold Case, I, I just, it was an amazing experience. A great team of people, great actors. I felt like a family uh, making those shows. I think what separated that show from everybody else was that there was this emotional thing to every episode. It was about the people and about finding out who that person was. Um, and it, you know, I just, I super loved that show, but when that show was over, I think the job everybody wanted was the, cause I remember us all sitting around the writer's room was everyone heard the supernatural who had not opened their room looking for anybody in the first five seasons and they finally were going to open it up. So that was like a real, everybody going, that's a tough job. And I had known the show. I watched the first two seasons and had loved it. Like I just was, I just loved the boys and, you know, to me it was like, you know, boys riding around America in a car, you know, uh, muscle cars solving, you know, crimes and, you know, and excuse me, supernatural things. I just like, I just thought the actors were great and everything like that. So one of the things, again, where you talk about the hustle, I just decided I was like, I'm getting this job. Like, I don't care if 200 people are up for it. I'm getting it. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to out pitch everybody. Cause I, I luckily have that gear where I'm just a, a machine, an idea guy. I can just give you I can sit there and like I always say in the writer's room, like, I'm just going to deal cards. I'm, I'm the dealer. It's like, what do you want? You want aces? You want this? I'll give you, I'll give you 30 ways we can do this. So I never forget. I went in with Eric Kripke and Sarah Gamble and, um, and Bob um, uh, Singer, who, you know, were the three main people to show. And I just started pitching away. And as I was pitching, Eric, who's a tough audience, was like, oh, we're doing that one. You know, and then I was like, I pitched another one. He's like, well, we're doing that one, you know? And I remember walking out and they're like, he never says that in a meeting. So I ended up getting job. And, and then it was a whole other learning curve, you know, cause they did things very differently. And, you know, you broke stories individually. The room was not as big, you know, it was more about what you did with the showrunner one-on-one. -on -one. And I learned a lot from Eric. Eric was just, he's, you know, he's got the boys now. He's just a brilliant mind and just an amazing writer. And, you know, is to just sit at his feet and learn some of this stuff, you know, it was amazing. And what's funny is he's a comic book geek. So he would like, like I'm geeking on him and then he'd geek on, he's like, can you get this Suicide Squad sign for me? Mm -hmm. um, so it was like, a, it was a, an interesting thing. But um, 
then what happened was I was at Comic-Con because I went every year anyway and would always go around. And I, you know, it's interesting. Marvel stuff um, was sort of low-key in a weird way. It was like, you know, you're I'm trying to put this in words. Like, it's not as big. It, the stuff I was doing was just sort of smaller and not as big a fanfare. So, you know, nobody knew who I was. Uh, and I was actually over at the DC booth talking to a friend of mine. And um, I always forget Matt's name, which is terrible because... I owe the guy a lot. Um, he said to me, hey, man, I really loved your Deadpool Pope and I love Luke Cage Noir. And, you know, I, Max, is it Matt Keller? I think it is. I think he's in marketing. And he's like, why aren't you writing for us? And I said, you know, that's a good question because I don't know anybody. And he's like, because oh, he also is a huge Supernatural fan. And, you know, I, I, so he said, well, Dan Didio, who's the president, is a, him and his, at the time, girlfriend, who's now his wife, Leah, um, they're huge supernatural fans. So he introduced me to Dan and we started talking and Dan says, uh, well, you know, give me your number and everything like that. So I remember getting a call. Me and my son were actually, it's Christmas time. We're going into a comic book shop and I get a call and it's like, it's Dan Didio and Jim Lee. And I literally was like, I think I hung up the first time because I thought it was one of my buddies messing with me. And then they called back and they were like, is something happened line? I realized it was them. And I was like, you know, I mean, I'm a giant Jim Lee fan. I've been reading comics. I mean, I go back to his Claremont X-Men, you know, I just giant, giant fan. And they just started talking about different things and different ideas. And so I did a couple of one shots for them. I did a JLA um, 80, I think, issue. And like, you know, I did basically um, Dante's Inferno. So, you know, I brought a little supernatural element to it. And then they called me and asked me if I would do this Legion of Doom thing. And then only to find out later it was going to be a Flashpoint series and that it would not have any of the stars of Legion of Doom in it. And all of a sudden, by the way, the other side of it is I was doing DC and then all, like, I, I was like, I was almost like a precious flower in comics. I had turned around and like literally everybody just praised everything I did. And all of a sudden I went to DC and people were like, you know, F you Adam Glass. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, I thought my career was over in comics. And by the way, I did comics while I was doing TV. So it's not like I ever left comic uh, t TV. It was like my side hustle I was doing. Uh, and, you know, and I found out a lot of interesting stuff. You know, it was like, it's a very close community. They're very close. Uh, they don't like outsiders. So to them, I was taking money out of their pocket, which I totally understood. You know, they, so it was like, I never was embraced by that, like that community. And I always feel like almost every review of mine is always like Hollywood writer, Adam Glass, which is this like big F you, you know? So it was like this weird thing. And so, when they came to me about the new 52, which I didn't know was gonna be the new 52, um, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, you know, I don't see Suicide Squad on this list. They're like, oh, well, we're not sure. And I said, I, I grew up and I love John Ostrander, who, you know, I thought was just God when I was a kid and loved those books. And, and, and him and Marv Wolfman and George Perez with Teen Titans, those were like really my big books as a kid. So um, I said, I want to do it, but I'd like to bring Harley Quinn in. And they were like, no, Harley's off limits. You can't touch Harley. I'm like, what are you doing with Harley? Harley's like, you know, like really like, and I remember fighting and fighting, fighting at the time, Pat McCallum, who was my editor. I said, you know, I only want to do this book. I said, I feel like Harley should be in the suicide squad. And I gave them all the reasons why. And, and, and really, cause they kept saying, put things for me, they kept saying it was a logic bump for me. And also they kept saying, make things more real. And I was like, okay, 
So if you're the psychiatrist of a hospital and you fall in love and have a relationship with one of your patients and then they commit you, they're not going to keep you in the same place. They're going to move you to another facility, which to me was Bell Rev, which would then get her into Suicide Squad. Plus, I just wanted to see her solo. I mean, it's interesting, you know, um, again, comics are so like, you know, I see a lot of these things that other people take credit for. And I'm like, no, that was me or that was, you know, the guys who created her. Um, you know, I kept saying it's the Lauren Hill album. It's the emancipation of Harley Quinn, which they used actually in the title, which was the name of one of my books. Um, um, and I just wanted to see Harley on her own. I didn't like the abusive relationship she was in. I never, that was the part of it that never really fit with me, even when I would watch the thing, uh, the animated series. So I really wanted to see who Harley could be on her own. And it was a guy, Mike Marks, who was the editor at the time there for DC, for the Batman line, who fought for it and got her for me. And, and then, like they say, the rest is history. The book took off and mm-hmm. did great and people loved it and obviously led to the movie franchise and all that stuff, And uh, which I don't get a penny for. Um, so uh, when you work as a gun for hire for those shows. Um, I mean, for those things, they own everything. So it doesn't matter. Um, but that led, so, so there's a long way of saying if it wasn't for supernatural, you know, and, and people being such fans of that show, which that fan base, the supernatural family is amazing. They've been so great to me and to all the writers on the show. Uh, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, the comic books, I always like to say, because a lot of comic book guys are guys who get into movie and TV. I'm a movie and TV guy who got into comic books and did it for the love because I didn't need the money, you know, and I don't say that in a cocky way. I say it more in a like, I, that those checks weren't what was driving me. It was driving me as like, I have this passion from being a kid. And then a few years later, when they asked me to do Teen Titans, I said, not only will I do it, but I remember telling my wife, like, I'm going to do it. And then I'm probably done because then I sort of fulfilled my childhood dreams. I wrote the two books I dreamt of writing and, you know, I'll keep doing independent books, but the odds that I'll do another DC or Marvel are slim to none because I just, you know, feel like, like, and, and to, and there are people who need, need the money and do need to make those careers and stuff like that. So I don't want to, you know, I've done my, I've put my footprint, you know, on those, those two titles and I'm glad I did it. So tons of love for that. Unbelievable. Um, let's talk about uh, into into the oh in from the cult excuse me for uh, for uh, mispronouncing it how is that doing um, you know I get another Russian connection with uh, with Margarita uh, yeah with Margarita um, well you know one quick thing you know because you had asked me this earlier um, after I left Supernatural after five seasons you know I really was like I'd run writers rooms I had done all these different things but I wanted to really run my own show mm-hmm. and um, at the time I had gotten some offers I had kept turning them down and. You know, I finally got a call from um, Glenn Geller, who at the time was president of CBS, and I'd known and had helped me early in my career and was really good to me. I said, look, I want to either co-run a show or run a show. And uh, he said, you know, do you know who Erica Messer is? And I said, I don't know who Erica Messer is. And she had been running Criminal Minds, and she had a spinoff called Criminal Minds Beyond Borders and needed help with it. And, you know, these meetings usually you go and you meet for half hour, 45 minutes. I think we met for five hours. Like, we just, just one of the nicest, greatest, you know, super talented people in the world. And she said, listen, I, you'll be a real partner in this with me. And it's Gary Sinise. And, you know, it's like, and we'll do this. So I went and first season, we were there hand in hand. Second season, she gave me the keys to the car, let me drive it more. And she really gave help give me a big break. So, you know, I own a ton to Erica and, you know, Gary was a great partner and all that stuff. So, after that, I went, I got a call from Fox 
um, 21, actually, again, these business, like an old executive who I knew, who was a friend who was over there. And Elwood Reed from back in my cold case days, they needed someone to come in and run the writer's room on the shy first season. And so, you know, I went over there and I met Lena Waithe and, you know, we all decided to do the show together and I did that the first season. And then I went and did a show called Barkskins for them. And, and, you know, just nothing but love for all those people and that family. But, you know, I wanted my own show, wanted my own show. And basically I get a call. And again, this is just to show you how the business works, right? I get a call from um, a guy that I knew back all the way to my first drama back like 12 years ago on um, The Cleaner. And he was the assistant to the showrunner. Okay. And we had kept in touch on Facebook, you know, every once in a while checking in. And back in the day, he'd give me scripts to read. And I'd give him notes or thoughts, you know, and he never forgot that. He said to me, you know, like, you know, you, you're one of the few people who did it. Like you always treated me like an equal, no matter what. And since then he had done really well and he had become, you know, like, you know, um, I don't even know what the official title is because Netflix is so, had such a different way of ranking, but like, you know, he became a, you know, he's producing shows for Netflix, was an executive there. And he called me actually to ask me about another writer, about Andrew Dabb, who's the showrunner of Supernatural right now. Then he said something to me like, you know, well, I know you're busy and all, and you know, you probably don't do general meetings. And I said, are you kidding me? Of course I'll come in and do a general meeting with you, you know? And uh, I went in and I pitched them some ideas and they loved one of them. So do you have some stuff on that? And I, and it was funny, I had seven ideas in my back pocket. Cause I sort of like, you know, you're almost like a gunslinger when you get to my age. It's like, I got, I got this, I can give you this. I got, you know, I, I know what I got. So um, I was talking to them and um, I said, you know, what, what are you looking for? And I figured out with what they're looking for, here's something I got. Mm-hmm. And I, it's also the reason I pitched it was the best thing I knew to pitch. I knew I had the best opening and hook. So, and I pitch it like no one's business. So I pitched it to them and it was in from the cold uh, teaser and, and then it moved really fast, like so fast that I was sort of like not believing it was happening because Netflix just works so differently. So I was able to sort of move really quickly and get the show going. And and that young man's name was Pete Corona, along with his um, boss, Chris Regina. And before I knew it, they ordered a room and we were writing episodes and I got to pick all the writers I love that I wanted to work with for a long time and filled my room with some interesting people. I actually got a writer from Russia, Anya Mesnik, who, um, yes, she was amazing. She's great. She's about to have a baby, Anya. Good luck. Um, um, she's from Moscow. She came here when she was eight or nine. Um, uh, Jewish refugee, you know, had to get out of there. Uh, I had, you know, Erica Anderson, I mentioned, Chris Barber. I had a, a wonderful writer named Gaila, uh, Gaia Viola from Sicily. Um, so it was really just a great, great staff um, of people that I was able to put together. And we went to we went to Spain. I prepped for eight weeks. We were five days from shooting and the coronavirus hit. And yeah, by the way, I had three Russian actresses on the stage, on, on there. So it was funny to sort of spend so much time between Margarita and Ivana Sank. I can never say her last name right. Sako Senko. And then um, another actress's name I can't pronounce. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, uh, but it was, it, was, it was fascinating to go out and have meals. And, talk. and some of it did remind me of my Bubby and sort of, you know, uh, and it was interesting to just sort of be around the culture because I had not been around it in a long time. That's very cool. So hopefully, you know, that's going to pick up again at some point in the near future. 
that's everyone's everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's on pause. So yeah. nobody knows what's going to happen until this all, you know, uh, moves in another direction. But right now, I think I, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think anyone's shooting anything until next spring. Um, I hear different things, and, and again, uh, best best laid plans uh, can go to waste. But you know, what I hear is some of my uh, Canadian friends are starting to shoot in September. Uh, some things in New York, I heard, are going to start in September. In Chicago, uh, I think one of the Dick Wolf shows, uh, if not, you know, a number of them are going to start back in September. So there's... We'll see. Huh? We'll see. Yeah, exactly. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. I hope so, but I, I have doubts. I, I know a lot of people's shows are getting pushed and I just haven't announced them yet. Okay, I get you. Well, I got it. The, the goal is for everybody to be safe and uh, to get to the other side of this and then we'll, we can pick out. And the actors are the biggest ones. They're the ones who have most exposure. We have to protect them. Yeah, I can wear a mask all day, an actor can't. That's true. Um, okay, so you've mentioned that, uh, in, in again, in my prep, I've, I've heard you mention a few times that writers and actors have a lot in common. For the actors out there, can you please explain how that is? Because I, I feel that, and I've always felt that, but I want to hear from you. Well, think about it, right? We both, we're constantly critiqued. We're constantly putting ourselves out there. You know, maybe you're going to read my script or you're going to see my audition, you know? Um, so we're constantly having to put ourselves, you know, out to be criticized, you know? And that's not for everybody. It's really hard. You know, it takes a thick skin. You know, it takes time to build that skin. Um, you know, as you know, I've spoken this in your acting things. If you only knew actors you'd pull your hair out of your head how sometimes things are decided or or how things go down because the truth is it's one plus one doesn't equal two always you know i've seen literally horse trading i've seen flips of coins i've seen you're the best actor but you're taller than the main actor you're you know um we already have a blonde we already you know anything like that um you know you it's like it's it's insanity if the, be if the best person won the job all the time, so I always tell this to my daughter, tell this to any actor, just leave it on the, leave it there. Just put it, do your best, leave it on the field, walk away. And that's all you in control of. And everything else is just going to be a matter of fate. With that said, I, I, and I, it's that, right? I mean, you always hear this and people are always like, well, what is it? Like, you know, they'll say somebody has that it thing. They just have that thing. Like when I saw uh, Ivana's, uh, Sanko's audition, she just blew everybody out of the water, you know, and she plays uh, Margarita, young Margarita. And I just, there was no, to me, there was no one else even close. Like she just had it. And she made these really interesting decisions. Like it was actually, I, I joked with her, it was like a little Brando S. She started eating nuts at one point and, you know, doing these things, but she was just, she just was unbelievable. So there are times when people just come in and have the it or they own it or sometimes just timing when you come in on the audition. Mm -hmm. I want to say this, like the hardest, like it's catching too because people come in early and they're great, but then you're just trying to beat them the whole time. Yeah. And then there are people who come in um, who don't have, um, how do I say this? Who, who are so good, you, everyone else you can't compare them to. And then there's the person who's like, we can't find them, we can't find them. And we've been looking for months and they come in and we're like, we're just ready to settle. Okay. You know, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's like, you know, it's like musical chairs. The music stopped. We need someone. We're about to shoot. Were they the best person? Maybe not, but the timing was good for them, you know? Um, so, man, so that's where we're very similar. I think we're, we're always putting ourselves out there. We're always um, creating. And, and as a writer, I'm always acting out the parts as I write them. 
I'm like always hearing the voice and saying it out loud and keeping sure the dialogue sounds good and using people that I know in my life, you know, as prototypes and writing it so I can get the voice down in the dialogue and all that. Perfect. All right, we're at our newest segment, which is the, uh, we, we call it the actor right lightning round, but for you, it's gonna be the writer, the showrunner lightning round. Um, you've been on a ton of projects, obviously. What's, uh, if you had to pick one favorite, which one would it be? Oh, you mean out of all the shows I've been on? Yeah. You, you know, for right now, I'd have to still say it's Supernatural. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think we were able to do, what I love about that show is you're able to do so many different kinds of stories. You can make social commentary, you can, you know, you can do a horror thing, you can do a comedy version. The versatility of that show, you know, I also wrote like, I don't know, 16, 17 episodes of it. I mean, I wrote a lot of episodes of it. I got to explore so many different things, um, you know, and do, like I said, and also put my own life into it and then find ways through it. It's just, the show was just so rich and deep. It's why it's gone 15 seasons. It's I just, know. you know. It's an absolutely amazing show. And I, I, I joke, I said, I got to make something or do something bigger or, or else my obituary will be supernatural right around class. <laughs> Not so bad. Not such a bad contribution to the world. So but, uh, I'm glad I could be a small contributor to that big whole, whole thing. What's the weirdest thing that ever happened to uh, you know, anybody on set or to you on a set? The weirdest thing that ever happened to me. Oh boy, she sent me that question earlier. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like what's the, the weirdest thing that ever happened to me? Um, the first that comes to mind. Um, I got yelled at once by James Woods for parking in his parking spot and I was on set and someone, all of a sudden James Wood just walked in. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, and then I, I was like, oh, I think that's me. And I didn't realize that because it was right next to our, our stages and our things and I didn't realize the sign had been changed. So uh, getting screamed at by James Woods um, is definitely a weird thing that happened to me on set. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, out of all of the actors, and again, everybody wants to compare, right? But out of all of the actors that I've ever been compared to in terms of look, you know, the, the one that I hear more frequently than other uh, is James Woods. So for some reason, really? I look like James Woods. I don't think so, but that's what they see. I don't see James Woods, but yeah, okay. That's interesting. Neither do I, but now that you said the, Jew, the Jewish James Woods, mm -hmm. apparently so. So there you go. Um, and now that you've mentioned that he yelled at you, maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. So <laughs> I'm having yeah trauma. Oh no. Um, who's the best actor that you ever get a chance with? I know you've mentioned Gary, who's incredible, but uh, who would you say is the best actor from pure acting stuff? Again, you know, it's crazy. He doesn't get enough credit, but Jensen Ankles, who plays Dean Winchester, can do everything. He can do comedy. He can, yeah. he can, he can do drama. He can bring the emotion. Like, and, and I mean, I was always blown away. I, I believe after Supernatural, he could have a very big career. I just think he's a bigger star than people realize. Um, but I got to tell you, man, I also had the pleasure of working on The Shy with some unbelievable actors, you know? I mean, we just had so many amazing people on that show um, that I just thought, you know, again, Jason Lattimore, who I just think is a star, um, you know, um, Chris Lee, who now is, you know, he came in and did a bunch of stuff for us. Chris Deshaun Lee, who's just an amazing actor. Um, there's so many people on that. Uh, Stephen Williamson, you know, Williams, who I've worked with a ton of times, who's just a great actor. I worked with him on both Supernatural and on that show, on The Shy. So he's great. Um, yeah, man, I, you know, there's so many, 
I love actors, so like I collect them and I like them. And if I, I, I sort of like what Peck and Paul and those and you know John Ford used to, they used to have sort of their crew of actors they went to, yeah. you know, and always sort of brought in on stuff. And again, by the way, I, I keep going. I mean, like Danny Pino, just you know, Money in the Bank, you know, that guy can do anything. There's nothing into Jeremy Ratchford who you know played uh, on Cold Case. You know, he's a good actor. I've brought him in to do other character stuff for me. He's a super good actor. Um, I don't think people realize what a great actor Anthony Anderson is. I think Anthony, once this show's over, will show, you know, people forget, you know, he was on The Shield and 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 did an amazing job on that. So, you know, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of great, great actors that I love. Jim Beaver, who I just love, great character actor, plays Bobby on um, Supernatural, but also, you know, was in Deadwood and, you know, did a ton of things. Like, Jim's just an amazing actor. So, um, Kim Rhodes, you know, who, uh, again, another great character actress who I've used over and over again. So, you know, I, I I'm just really blown away. I, I feel like I've worked with a lot of great people. Perfect. Thank you. Um, those are some amazing, uh, amazing names. Um, I know you've, uh, you've obviously written, uh, for, uh, for a good number of shows, but is there one show or a uh, feature out there that you wished you were the writer on? <laughs> Oh, I always say, yeah, it's so funny you say that. I mean, like I, right now I look at Ozarks and I'm just like, oh my God, I wish I created that show. I wish I wrote that show. Like it's so me, so right down. And Laura Lindley is amazing. And I just always have loved her. And I think Bateman's a great uh, actor and director. I mean, he directs a lot of those episodes and I think he's just amazing. Um, yeah, I love that show through and through. <laughs> From And I had been circling doing a show about um, laundering money, but their show's much better <laughs> than my show. Like that's another thing too, cause you know, usually you go, like even when my motorcycle, I'm like, oh, my show is better than Sons of Anarchy. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, I can't say that about this. This Ozarks is, is I think right now one of the top three shows on television. Very cool. Um, what's one thing most people do not know about you? What is one thing that most people don't know about me? You know, I, and I think you collect um, a reputation when you're younger. Um, you know, I'm pretty much a homebody at this point in my life. You know, I like to, I like to have people over. I have a little, uh, what I call my, I have two rocking chairs out of my deck and I like to have cigars and drinks and scotches. And I just have, you know, just close friends and people I, whose minds just have deep conversations. So, you know, also just things like that, just really, um, I'm not a very um, outgoing person though. My personality would argue that I am. <laughs> gotcha. And then uh, lastly, you know, if you had a chance to talk to a younger version of yourself and you had a chance to give one piece of advice, what would that advice be? Slow down. <laughs> like, I mean, listen, the hustle is what got me here. But again, like I was telling that story earlier, it was like there were times where I think I just didn't have um, the bandwidth or the, the um, you know, the, the, the deepness to sort of say, okay, look at every opportunity for what it is. I, I was so quick to make decisions, which both helped me, but also I think at times hurt me. Have patience, you know, just, just you know, and don't be so quick, to, you don't know everything. Like, you know, again, you know, imagine if I'd been on the first season of Sopranos, maybe I got fired, but even so, have that on my resume, would it really change things up, you know? So, but you also can't, you know, that's just life, you know? Yeah, you know, it's like, you just have to take it for what it is. But yeah, you know, um, yeah, I think that's what I'd say to myself and everything. It's an interesting question. What would you say to yourself, Alan? To myself, um, really pursue acting. Because 
you know, I came here at 14 and uh, I acted as a kid. So I thought acting was going to be my thing. And then I came here and my parents came here, you know, like you came to LA, my parents were 52 and they came here with $300 in their pocket to begin a new life. And for me to become an actor for them was no, you're, you're, we came here for you so you can have a career and a normal job. And I always struggled with that. And I kept on trying to find what I could do. And I tried IT and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. You know, I was a very good tennis player. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be a tennis pro. But with all of these things, and I'm blessed with different abilities, but if you don't focus enough time on any one of them, nothing is going to happen. And I, and I kept on finding myself in that cycle. And then I started an IT business. The first one failed. The second one was, uh, was a, you know, a certain level of success. And I kept not feeling fulfilled and myself until later in life, probably I think when I was 41, I said, that's it. I, I can't. I have to do acting because that's who I am. And when I allowed myself to do that, when I allowed myself to go on audition and do student films and do indies and shorts, that's when I felt complete. So I still do IT because acting doesn't pay right now, but I still do IT. And now I started the show. And as, as long as my world is allowing me to be filled with uh, uh, you know, acting and ability to talk to people like yourselves who are in the business, that makes me whole. And then it makes me tolerate everything else around my life. So the one advice that I would have told myself is stop screwing around, just focus on acting and give it a real shot. Because I think I have something, whether any of it is going to come out uh, in the future, who knows? But that's what I would have told myself. Well, I'll say this too. And I told my daughter this just recently. And I think you hit on a very important thing to everybody in life. And it's more of a life lesson than anything. Live your life for yourself. Like I don't want my children living their life for me. I, and I get your parents made a different sacrifice and all that stuff and moving and I understand what they did, but you know, you got to live, live for you, you know, it's your life, you know, and, and your parents, they love you. They'll eventually be happy for you no matter what you do. I think so. They'll, they'll be proud, but they're just, uh, they're worried. They're old fashioned. So these, these discussions don't usually. I told my grandmother I was coming to LA and I didn't know anybody. Forget yeah. about it. Quit one quick funny st last story. She called me once. I'll never forget. I'd been at her for three, four years. She said, I had a, I had a great idea. Okay. She was living in West Palm Beach. Selma Simonovitz, right? My Bubby. She says, I have a great idea, Adam. She says, I was watching Steven Spielberg's mother on TV this morning. Why don't you call him, tell him you're Jewish and go have a meeting with him. And I said, it doesn't work that way, Bubby. She said, How do you know? Hmm? How do you know? He's yeah. very Jewish. His, mo his, his mother is, and she believed like I was an idiot for not, imagine that by the way, Adam Glass uh, for Stephen Silver, Jew. And they go, oh, come in. <laughs> she likes some, uh, like some uh, loxes or something. You know, so we have some spread, smelt, uh, come in. Like, like just, she really believed it worked that way. And by the way, back in New York in the like 40s and 50s, I'm sure it did work that way, you know, but not in Hollywood. No, um, I never got a job because I was a Jew. Let's put it that way. I know people that might surprise everybody out there in America, but it's never worked that way for me. In fact, I joke all the time. My, my agent, my manager, and my lawyer are not Jewish. Really? Yeah. See, even Alan's too, Alan can't believe it. I'm like, yeah, what happened? I missed it. I'm 20 years too late. Wow. Well, uh, my, uh, my wife's uh, uh, family one of their kind of uh, names is, uh, is uh, Spielberg. So uh, my wife's grandmother was investigating whether Steven is actually a part of the family uh, and whether we should contact him and say, hey, you know, we're, we're here, yeah, this is what we're doing. But 
that never happens. So Stephen, if you're if you're listening, you know we have two <laughs> Jewish people that want to talk to you right here, and Adam and <laughs> Perfect, Adam. Uh, it's it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time, coming on, and and sharing your life. It's again, it inspired me to uh, to continue writing. I'm a writer, and I've been so busy with everything else that I put that aside and I haven't written, and I miss it. I need to go and start writing, and and you've inspired me uh, just by doing the research. I need. All right, brother. Well, keep writing, and best of luck to everybody out there. And you know, it is the old saying, and I know it sounds cheesy, but just follow your dreams. And just, you know, don't give up and keep pushing, 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 because you'll still end up higher than you would have if you didn't try, you know, and you never know what's out there for you. So um, keep going. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. And thank you for everybody for tuning in. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, like, comment, tell us what you think, and please uh, follow uh, Adam's work. Okay. Take care, everybody. Bye.